Welcome to the Envio podcast, a podcast produced by the Center for Global and Regional Environmental Research at the University of Iowa. Each month, we discuss environmental research, news, and initiatives that matter to Iowans. I'm your host this month, Jenna Ladd, and today we're speaking with Dr. Larry Weber. Dr. Weber serves as a professor of civil and environmental engineering on campus. He also plays an important role as director of IIHR, Hydroscience and Engineering, which is the parent organization of the Iowa Flood Center. The Iowa Flood Center serves Iowans in many ways, most of which we'll dig into during this episode. If you're not familiar with the center, I'd suggest checking out their work at iowafloodcenter.org. I wanted to clear something up before we get started. During my discussion with Dr. Weber, you'll hear us refer to two similarly named but different projects, the Iowa Watersheds Project and the Iowa Watersheds Approach. I'm going to explain the difference here. So the first is the Iowa Watersheds Project, which was a five-year effort supported by an $8.8 million grant from the U.S. Department of Housing and Urban Development. The center helped to establish local watershed management authorities, provided hydrologic assessments and watershed plans, and helped to pay for watershed improvement projects including farm ponds, wetlands, floodplain easements, and more on five Iowa watersheds. The Iowa Watersheds Project wrapped up in September 2016, and right around the same time, the Iowa Flood Center received another HUD grant in the amount of nearly $97 million. And so, the Iowa Watersheds Approach was born. The Iowa Watersheds Approach is doing the same thing as the Iowa Watersheds Project did, just on a much larger scale. This initiative aims to reduce the risk of flooding, improve water quality and health and quality of life for Iowans across nine watersheds, Bee Branch Creek in Dubuque, Upper Iowa River, Upper Wapsipinicon River, Middle Cedar River, Clear Creek, English River, North Raccoon River, West Nishnabotna River, and East Nishnabotna River. We'll go ahead and begin. I think I'm just going to start start the podcast this way from now on. If you could just share kind of some of your earliest memories with the natural environment or maybe your fondest memories with the natural environment. Yeah, so, um, you know, my, my memories go back a long ways. Uh, I grew up on a small uh, dairy farm in northeast Iowa, and I very vividly remember uh, as a child going out into the pasture where the cattle grazed, you know, the dairy cows grazed uh, during the day, to go get them and retrieve them or walk them home uh, for milking in the evening. And the pasture had a small creek uh, that went through it, a uh, little bear creek, and spent a lot of time with that creek. I mean, in the water, drinking the water, um, you know, throwing rocks, building dams, you know, just a lot of interaction uh, with that small stream that flowed through our farm. It was very specific to water. My, my dad, you know, who, who was, you know, farming uh, since he was uh, a youth, um, was very focused on the farm mm-hmm. and really didn't hunt or fish very much. I mean, he did occasionally would fish, but, you know, we had this stream and, you know, like water attracts people, mm-hmm. um, especially for young folks. It was a stream that, you know, was, was too big to just simply walk across or wade across at any time, uh, but it was small enough that it was never dangerous. And sure. so uh, we kind of had free reign to go down, you know, to the creek whenever we wanted to. And, and it certainly, you know, drew myself and my sisters, to, you know, to it often. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so very poignant and specific there. Mm-hmm. That's great. 
So today we're going to be discussing more about the Iowa Watersheds approach. Can you just explain to our listeners what the Iowa Watersheds approach is and how it became a thing? Yes, the Iowa Watershed approach is a a wonderful program um, that we have here, a project that's funded through housing and urban development. Uh, And the history of it goes back uh, a few years, but uh, the basic goal of the Iowa Watershed Approach is to uh, work with watershed management authorities in very specific watersheds in Iowa um, by uh, building conservation practices on private lands. Uh, we hope to reduce flooding during heavy rainfall events and improve water quality throughout the entire year. And so what are some specific ways that you're meeting those goals that you just stated? Yeah, so that was sort of the high-level goal. I mean, very specifically, within those watersheds, Uh, Watershed management authorities have been created, and so that provides the local organization and kind of governmental or governance structure, I should say, uh, to the functioning uh, of that group. Mm -hmm. Uh, So we work very closely with the watershed management authority. Our team does um, hydrologic assessment where we evaluate existing data and use mathematical models to determine um, sub-watersheds within the larger that have high runoff production during heavy rainfall. We do this hydrologic assessment to really evaluate the watershed. Then we work very closely with the WMA to create a watershed plan. And that plan should be a guiding or a vision document for watershed improvements uh, that could last over the next 20 or 25 years. Um, We install some sensors to monitor soil moisture, soil temperature, shallow groundwater elevations, stream flow, as well as water quality within the watershed. And then working with the WMA, uh, and having identified the sub-watersheds with the greatest runoff, um, we go out and build projects. And mm-hmm. so we'll build farm ponds for holding water, wetlands for holding water and processing nutrients, uh, reconnecting floodplains to the river channel, again, for processing nutrients and holding floodwaters. Um, other practices like terraces and grassed waterways are very important to extending the life, the functional life of those ponds and wetlands. Uh, And then we have very specific uh, constructed projects like saturated buffers and bioreactors for removing nutrients at the end of tile lines. So it's really a comprehensive program uh, with the overall goals of flood reduction during heavy rainfall and water quality improvement all year long. Okay, so these water management authorities, how many are there? Who usually makes up these groups and and what kind of, what, what does their group function look like? Yeah, so the watershed management authorities um, became um, an entity or a thing uh, in Iowa uh, legislation uh, that was passed in the 2010 legislative session. So they created Iowa Code language that allowed the establishment of watershed management authorities as an intergovernmental agreement between, at a minimum, uh, two uh, political jurisdictions. Uh, Eligible entities include cities, counties, and soil and water conservation districts. So you imagine a watershed uh, like the Turkey River, all the cities, all the counties, and all the SWCD offices are eligible to join um, and then become part of the board uh, to guide uh, programs and implementation. Um, That began in 2010. Uh, The first six were formed uh, very quickly after after the legislation passed. And today we have 17 that are formed Uh, We're working on three additional uh, WMAs uh, with the HUD-funded Iowa Watershed Approach Project, and we're aware of at least two or three others that are forming on their own. So I would expect that 
you know, perhaps by, you know, mid-year next year, we may have close to 25 in Iowa. And it sounds like they play a pretty integral role in getting these uh, mitigation projects set up. They, they really do. And, and, and I just give all the credit, you know, for the success of our first Iowa Watershed Project uh, program to the WMAs. Mm-hmm. I mean, they really are the boots on the ground. They're the neighbors that know the neighbors. Uh, they are the technical resources within the watershed. And, you know, they're really vested, you know, in the local improvement of their watershed. We work with them and provide technical support and guidance and um, help them with some visioning. Uh, but the success of our program is absolutely hung on the shoulders uh, and the backs of the WMAs. Certainly. So you mentioned that this, uh, the Iowa Watershed Approach is funded by the U.S. Department of Housing and Urban Development. How important are those federal dollars to initiatives like these? Well, they're so vitally important. Um, I've, you know, discussed this, um, you know, throughout the last year or so. Um, based on some work that we've already completed, um, I have a sort of back-of-the-envelope estimate that it's going to require about $3 million of investment in each hydrologic unit code 12-sized watershed uh, for streamflow reduction and flood mitigation. It's going to require about another $3 million in each one of those HUC-12 watersheds for water quality improvement. So across our state, we have 1,600 of these identifiable watersheds. Mm -hmm. 1,600 times 3 million is 4.8 billion Mm -hmm. for flood damage reduction and an additional 4.8 billion for water quality improvement. So in Iowa, I would suggest that we're facing about a $10 billion challenge uh, to meet our flood reduction uh, goals and objectives and our water quality improvement goals. Um, We know that that can't be uh, only funded you know, through a private landowner's actions and, and, and the producers and farmers and landowners out there. And so we'll have to draw down some federal dollars. We'll need some state dollars. And certainly we need the investment of private individuals and companies out there to, you know, help to make this holistic program come uh, to completion. So in, in speaking about trying to get, you know, private, well, our legislators to buy in and private companies and individuals to buy in, what why should this matter to Iowans? As an Iowan, I grew up here. I've worked you know, my, and spent my whole career here, uh, and I plan to retire here. Uh, I want a livable uh, state in which we can enjoy our water and natural resources, enjoy being in the outdoors, enjoy interacting with the rivers, lakes, and streams of Iowa. And you know, programs like the Iowa Watershed Approach, I think, are vital to the long-term sustainability of our resources in Iowa. Certainly. Yeah, and I I just remember personally when the when the Iowa Flood Center was threatened this year in the Iowa State legislation in terms of funding, I remember noticing that it was listed under like this education pocket of funding and you guys do do so much in terms of education and training students and experts, but I wondered the extent to which the services you guys provide are also public safety services. Can you speak more on that? Yeah, and so, so, so most certainly, you know, the work that we do is, is much broader than education. We are, you know, providing services to citizens of Iowa, um, but also to communities, counties, you know, state agencies, emergency management, and our federal partners. Mm-hmm. Uh, the data that we collect in our stream stage sensors all is shared with the National Weather Service, and that improves the forecasting of the Weather Service for Iowa. So, you know, the, the flood center has, over the 
you know, the past eight years or so of its existence has really integrated into all of the federal agency um, responsibilities in Iowa, all of the state agencies, and has become, you know, the go-to resource for those communities and citizens at the time of flood events. And so we really do think that we transcend, you know, all areas uh, of, um, of uh, water in Iowa and that we're making a tremendous impact. Um, sometimes, you know, I, I'll have to admit, you know, that because we're working so hard and serving uh, such a, um, a broad spectrum of Iowa, you know, we're traveling, we're on the road, we're away from home, the days are long, you know, we work with a tremendous sense of urgency and passion, and, you know, sometimes you, you, end, you end the day fairly exhausted and tired and, and maybe even wondering sometimes, does anybody care? Does it really matter? Are people even paying attention? And when the um, budgets came out, the draft budgets came out uh, this spring in the legislature that showed that the flood center was zeroed out, uh, I sent an email out to a few friends across Iowa that we were working with, and um, by the next day, by noon, there were thousands of points of contact in the legislature, and, you know, it was overwhelming, it was humbling, uh, and it was somewhat emotional to see the response that the, the, the people of Iowa had uh, to the potential zeroing out of the budget of the flood center, and so... You know, for a moment, for that moment, for sure, we knew that the work that we've done has been important. Okay, kind of switching gears here, I wanted to ask about some maybe specific success stories that stick out for you. Um, and these can be from landowners, from the surrounding communities, either from the Iowa Watershed Project or the Iowa Watershed Approach. Yeah, and so the success stories are many. And, mm-hmm. you know, and, and so we've just finished, you know, five years of funding from um, from HUD in the Iowa Watershed Project. And in, in, in that funding, uh, we completed the construction of about $5 million of conservation practices. Uh, we've been able to show down in Soap Creek that for you know, heavy rainfall that uh, is the 100-year rainfall event, you know, 6.75 inches of rain in a 24-hour period, we're able to reduce the peak of the flood event by about 40%. And so, you know, that's at one of these small watersheds. And, you know, we feel if we can do it at that scale in that watershed, we can do it across the rest of the state. Um, So that really served as our example, kind of our guiding example uh, in the first program. Uh, Just last fall, we completed uh, six nutrient removal wetlands in the Beaver Creek watershed of the Upper Cedar. And that happens to be six that we funded, along with an additional four that were funded through USDA programs. So now we have 10 nutrient removal wetlands in one small watershed uh, in the Upper Cedar in a heavily uh, agriculturally intensive watershed. And so this year, for the first time, we'll get a chance to evaluate the benefits of those 10 watersheds. Um, that concentration of water of uh, wetlands in the watershed is greater than any other in agricultural Midwest. So this is a tremendous opportunity for us to learn and study um, how uh, that density of wetlands uh, can improve water quality um, and hopefully improve it to a level that it meets uh, the nutrient reduction strategy goals of 45% reduction of load of uh, nutrients in a watershed. Okay, so from my understanding, the way the way this system kind of works is you get a landowner to agree to pay for part of the the wetland or whatever other um, technique you're using to improve water and prevent flooding. 
Um, what what are kind of the most important factors in convincing a landowner to buy into this project? Yeah, and so you know that's a really good question, um, and, and 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 I would say that um, engaging the landowners is a process that we um, work on throughout the entire program, and so. Uh, although early on we'll be doing this hydrologic assessment and the watershed planning, and we really won't be looking to cite uh, uh, specific practices um, until about you know the end of the second year of the program, because we want to get all the the hydrologic assessment and planning done first, so that we know we have a good program, and then we'll go out and, and really try to cite the practices. However, you know we want the landowners to be involved from the start. We want them to be. Um, with the watershed management authority, uh, setting the goals and objectives uh, for the watershed program that they're working on, and uh, understanding the value that these practices have. Um, we've been able to use a, a tool called the Agricultural Conservation Planning Framework that is, a, again, another mathematical model that we run that shows the potential location of every wetland in the watershed every grassed waterway in the watershed, every place that we could do agricultural drainage management. And so, you know, we create those maps and we put them uh, into our presentations to the landowners and say, this is what's possible. And a recent example we had in the upper Wapsi where we showed uh, all of the places that grassed waterways could be built in the watershed. And incidentally, the DNR has been doing some analysis of LIDAR data and photographs where they've mapped out where every grassed waterway is. And when you compare where all the waterways are, grassed waterways are, and what is possible, it appears that the landowners in that watershed have achieved about 90% of all of the potential grass waterways. So congratulations and, you know, and, um, and kudos to them uh, for understanding that that's an important practice that uh, helps reduce erosion and improve their agricultural operation. Likewise, we ran the model for wetlands. In that watershed, there were no wetlands. And so now we can say in grassed waterways, they've done an excellent job. With wetlands, you know, there are, there's a lot of opportunity. And so then we work with the landowners that might have an interest. Um, to date, in, in all of the programs that we've done, we've never had a problem spending the money. We've, we've never been landowner limited. We've always been resource, you know, fiscal resource limited. So the good thing is, is that there's an appetite. There's a need uh, of the landowners out there that want to build conservation in their um, operations. But oftentimes they just don't have the resources to do it. Mm -hmm. um, wetlands are expensive. And, you know, they value the habitat uh, enhancements that they get on their land. A lot of them, you know, either enjoy, you know, nature, like to hunt, like to fish, and, and, and just like having these projects built. Um, but they're costly. And, and so when we come in and offer a 75% cost share, uh, then, then it makes that project viable when it, when it was only desirable before. And so um, I think it's just awesome that, uh, the landowners have responded so positively to these programs. Uh, and we look in this project to completing about $40 million of conservation work across state watersheds, and that will have an impact. Yeah, and I can speak to my personal experience at one of the Iowa Watershed Management Authority meetings last year. The maps seem somewhat simple, but I think sitting down and um, seeing your land compare or next to everybody else's land and kind of like the grand effect that you could have if everyone bought in might be a, a really convincing way to get people to spend that you know extra money to establish the wetland especially if you guys are helping 
Yeah, you know, and, and so so things have changed, you know, from mm -hmm. a technology perspective uh, so rapidly over the last couple of years. When 10 years ago when we did these kinds of models, everything we had to, you know, run these models in a very coarse grid and, mm -hmm. you know, with very coarse kind of granularity and, and we would show, you know, changes in stream flow, but it was at such a large scale that it was hard to make it kind of place-based and, and mm -hmm. very specific to a landowner. The models that we're running today uh, run with a, you know, uh, a computational mesh that on average in the watershed is about an acre in size. And so now on every acre of land in a watershed, we know how much rainfall has happened there based mm -hmm. on NEXRAD rainfall products. We know how much infiltration, what the soil moisture is, what the groundwater elevation is, what the direct runoff is. You know, and so we can really make it uh, more understandable to you know, the landowners just what impact uh, these practices and what benefit these practices will have on their land and then of course as we distribute those practices throughout the watershed we see what the overall benefit is uh, at the at the outlet of the watershed so kind of speaking of community buy-in unfortunately the protection of our natural resources has become uh, kind of like a politicized issue in the united states um i wonder if the has the Iowa watershed approach been treated as a partisan issue by Iowans, or are you seeing support from all sides? Well, I, you know, I try not to get, uh, to have too much focus on, you know, the political side mm -hmm. of this. I mean, we're out there working uh, uh, in Iowa as Iowans, and, and as I often say, uh, we don't have an urban agenda, we don't have a rural agenda, uh, we have an Iowa agenda. Sure. And we want to make Iowa a better place, and so um, I, I, I think that's really important. Um, I think we value all voices. Mm -hmm. uh, we know that in the urban areas, there's also practices that they can be doing, stormwater detention basins and, and better stormwater management, permeable pavers, and, and other practices for re reducing runoff in urban areas. But collectively, we've got to do this uh, mm -hmm. for Iowa. Um, I think that uh, another way that I like to, to kind of couch this or put it into context is related to water quality issues and mm -hmm. and the water quality issues do uh, sometimes become a little more challenging to discuss and and I, I like to think about it in the in a bigger context and the context is that uh, a few years ago the National Academy of Engineers um, developed a list of grand challenges for engineering for the 21st century this is amazing for the 21st century they have 14 grand challenges one of them is reverse engineer the brain. You think about how, what a challenge that's going to be for the engineering and scientific community to reverse engineer the brain to help treat debilitating diseases uh, and impairments that people have. How can we you know, better understand how the brain works? Capturing and harnessing energy from the sun in a more efficient way than we do today is one of the grand challenges. Like those two, providing access to clean drinking water is a grand challenge. Managing the nitrogen cycle is a grand challenge. So those are two of those 14 challenges. Access to clean drinking water, managing the nitrogen cycle are grand challenges not just for our country but for all of humanity. These two are grand challenges for our state. And so we don't need to politicize it. It isn't something unique to Iowa. It isn't something that pits urban versus rural, or shouldn't be. It shouldn't be something that puts one political party against another. These are grand challenges for humanity. 
And uh, I think that it's important to think of it in that context. There is no blame in that sense. It's something that um, us as people on this earth need to address. And, and, and I think we need to embrace the challenge, communicate and talk about the challenge, not hide you know, from the challenge, but just put it out front and say, this is something we're working on. We won't solve it today. We're not going to solve it everywhere you know, at the same moment, um, but we need to start working on it. And I think through the Iowa watershed approach uh, and the practices that we'll install, we're going to show the benefit. We're going to be able to develop a pathway uh, towards addressing that grand challenge. Yeah, and I, man, uh, water is such a, a wonderful sort of unifying substance in that way, like something we all need at a at our most basic human level. So it really is unifying. It is unifying. And we think about the commons. Mm-hmm. Right? What are the commons? Air is the common. Is It was one of the commons that we should all have, clean air and access to clean air. And the Clean Air Act you know, really made tremendous progress over the last 40 years in the U.S. of cleaning up the air in the United States. And water is yet another of the commons. And historically, and, and especially in Iowa, um, we've always had about the right amount and the right time and of the right quality uh, that, you know, we haven't been stressed by water um, in our history as much as we will be stressed by water in our future. Certainly. I really believe that. And, and we've seen repetitive flooding over the last decade. We've seen that repetitive flooding intermixed with seasonal drought conditions that have been, you know, the 100-year drought in the same year we've had 100-year floods. Um, and now we've got a, you know some challenges in water quality to manage as well. Yeah, and I think a lot of the, a lot of the battle right now, so to speak, is, or allowing Iowans to understand that uh, water is an issue. Water quality is an issue in Iowa because when we speak about access to clean, healthy drinking water, I think a lot of folks just immediately think about people living in uh, developing countries or um, in other parts of our country, and it's not something that they associate with Iowa, but. It, it really is becoming an issue. Yeah, and, and, and I think um, where, you know, where, where we really believe is that you know, there is a, there's a need in, for science, there's a need mm-hmm. for additional discovery, uh, there's a need for information, um, and you know, there's a need for better, better policy. Mm-hmm. And so it, we want to be able to work on the scientific front of that. We want to create information and share information and hope that information informs better policy. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I think, you know, our role is science, and we lead with science, mm-hmm. uh, and that's uh, where we want to stay. All right. Well, so those are all of the planned questions I had. Is there anything else you'd like to share about the Iowa Watershed approach or the Iowa Flood Center in general? Well, you know, I, I think the other um, point that we didn't get a chance to chat with uh, or about on the uh, Iowa Watershed approach is that um, the success of the program uh, is really drawn national attention. And so we wrote a proposal uh, that included partners from cities and counties, obviously as recipients of some of the funding, uh, but included commodity groups and agricultural uh, leadership in our state, state agencies, um, environmental groups, and non-governmental organizations all came together to form this uh, Iowa watershed approach. And so uh, it is really the effort of a, a very wide and diverse team in Iowa. It's the only program that was funded by HUD that takes a holistic watershed approach. And we have been informed by HUD um, administrators that they're watching Iowa. They want to see if it will work. They want to see how it works. Uh, And 
uh, they want to see if it's a replicable model that could be used across the Midwest or uh, across our country uh, for further resilience work in um, uh, flooding and water quality related issues. So we're very excited about that. Uh, I think that um, it shows leadership of many people in Iowa and uh, we're certainly delighted to be part of the team. All right, well, thank you so much, Dr. Weber. It was a pleasure. Oh, it was my pleasure. And thanks uh, for coming over today and spending a few minutes to learn more about the Iowa Watershed Approach. Thanks for listening to Episode 7 of Enviwa. We had music today from David Seste. Please also check out our blog at iowaenvironmentalfocus.org, where we cover environmental research and news every day of the week. Or reach out to us on our Facebook and Twitter pages. Thanks again for listening. From the UI Center for Global and Regional Environmental Research, I'm Jenna Ladd.